0: Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. It's a new week, and we are slowly inching toward the end of the NHL season. Teams are in the hunt now that the trade deadline is in the rear view. And we had a trade deadline special in our last episode, number 65. You can go listen to the full thing under Light the Lamp, or you can just hear our interview with GM Pat Berbeek as a new episode of The Beaker. There was just so much movement last week that I'm hoping we have a little bit of a slower week this week. And I mean, looking at the Ducks schedule now, they only have two road trips left. They're leaving for one of those today, that being Monday, March 6th. And it's crazy to think that we're at this point in the season already, but the team has plenty of home games left. If you haven't been able to come to a game recently, make sure to check out the schedule because there are eight of them at the end of this month. So lots of action at Honda Center. Now going back, the Ducks capped off their three-game homestand last week with a 3-2 win on Friday against the Montreal Canadiens. And that brings their record from last week to 2-0-1 through those games. And they're currently on a five-game point streak, so playing some good hockey. So let's get to AD's takeaways now. Jason Megna was the one to net the first goal of the game, and it came on the Ducks first shot of the game, something that he was feeling pretty good about after another player that was impressive in this game and I think has been as of late is Max Jones. I think he's been using his body and getting a little more physical, and he certainly earned the elevated role that he has on the team right now. Now, also something interesting from this game on Friday, it was the second game in a row that head coach Dallas Aikens changed around the lines mid game. In this case, he flipped Troy Terry to work with Ryan Strom and Trevor Zegres and then Jacob Silverberg to work with Max Jones and Mason McTavish. So I asked him about it after the game, what the thought process was in changing up the lines. And he just said that he didn't love the way that things were going And he likes to settle into a game, but if they're not playing at the level that they're capable of you have to make the changes. And that was the case in this game. And it certainly worked on Wednesday against the Capitals. And then he felt like it worked again against Montreal on Friday. So the Ducks did pull ahead in the third period with goals from Mason McTavish, a one-timer on the power play. And then also on the power play, once again, Jacob Silverberg netting a goal too. So if you look at the chances on the power play in that game, the Ducks went two for three capitalizing from both units, which is really great to see. And Sylvie has goals in four of his last five games, so putting some offensive numbers up as well. Another guy who put some offensive numbers up, Derek Grant. He had a two point night on Friday with two assists. Overall, I just said it a little bit ago, but the team has been playing improved hockey. They're spending a lot of time in the O-zone, creating chances, some good sequences on the power play, everything you like to see. And also, they outshot Montreal thirty-three to twenty-eight, so something certainly that you can be happy about in that game. And the Ducks hit the road this week for some away games before they come back for all of those home games. But in the meantime, let's go coast to coast to talk about some of the goal calls from around the NHL over the weekend. It was a busy weekend of hockey following the trade deadline, guys making their debuts, and of course, some really crucial hockey as we get towards the end of the season. Beginning with the New Jersey Devils and Arizona Coyotes on Sunday at Mullet Arena Timo Meyer making his debut with the Devils since joining them at the deadline, and he made his presence felt, netting the very first goal of the game in the first period, nine oh nine in after a shot deflected off Connor Ingram's pads. The game did go into overtime, tied at four at the end of regulation, but Nico Hischier scored the overtime winner for the Devils. And the Devils are second in the Metropolitan right now behind Carolina, and they have 88 points with wins in their last seven of ten games. So Matt Laughlin has the call of Meyer's first goal.
1: They like him enough to get him, and then something happens, and they don't keep him. <laughs> Here's a pass out in front by Hughes. Comes to Hamilton, shot saved by Ingram. Rebound, try,
0: he scores. It's Timo Timo Meyer. Meyer time in Arizona, and it's one nothing. Also on Sunday, it was an important game for Tampa Bay, who has been trying to stay in the running in the Atlantic Division right now. But the Carolina Hurricanes shut them down 6-0 in Raleigh and held the Lightning to just 14 shots on goal. And that includes no shots in the second period for the Lightning. When you think about that, a team that has always produced, it's crazy. What's going on with Tampa Bay right now? Well, Tevo Taravainen netted a hat trick with two of his three goals coming on the power play. The Canes capitalized on four of their five man advantages through this game. And yes, Barry Kokeniemi had a career high five points for the Canes with a goal and four assists. The Lightning have now lost five straight games and eight of their last 10. Here the call of Teravainen's third goal from Mike Maniscalco
1: the blue line center of the ice back to Tara he'll go cross ice coach Kniemi up top Gostas bear with a lane he shot rebound here Vinen hat trick here come the hats Tavo Tara third of the game five nothing Carolina on the power play and
0: was a standing room only crowd on Saturday night at UBS Arena on the island when the New York Islanders took on the Detroit Red Wings. Detroit took the 1-0 lead in the second period, but the Islanders scored four unanswered goals in the third to get a 4-1 win against the Wings. Captain Anders Lee took the lead for the Islanders 4-39 into the third period as New York came out hot early in that final frame. This was his 23rd goal of the season, and he would go on to have one more in the game to bring his total to 24 goals on the season which is second on the team behind brock nelson the islanders have the first wild card spot in the eastern conference currently right now with 72 points listen to the goal call by chris king
1: islanders win the face off center point shot they score Islanders have their first lead of the game. It's the captain, Anders Lee, resting at home. And this place is going crazy.
0: And then last up on the goal calls, a team that is surging right now, the Ottawa Senators taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday, a 5-2 to win for the Senators at Canadian Bell Tire Center. And Tim Stutzla had a pair of goals, including a shorthanded goal in the third period that capped off the game. Jacob Chikrin, the newest addition to Ottawa, netted his first as a senator on Saturday in the second period. He also assisted on Stutzla's first goal of the game, and this came in only his second game with the team. Ottawa is now three points behind the second card spot in the East, and they're pushing in this final part of the season. Dean Brown has the call of Stutzla's goal.
1: Cleared all the way back down ice. Icing waved off as in behind the play was Goudreau. Waiting for a long bomb pass. Now he gives it away, and it's a three-on-one. Kachuk slides it in. Stutzla cuts in. Scores! Stutzla retakes the lead.
0: Now ahead of the Ducks matchup with the Kraken on Tuesday night in Seattle, John Forslund joins the show today. John talks through the deadline, the surge that the Kraken have had, winning four in a row, and more on the matchup in Seattle on Tuesday night. Listen in now. Joining light the lamp now is John forsland, play-by-play broadcaster for the Seattle Kraken. John, I know you guys probably got in late last night after a long trip out in Colorado and other previous cities, but how's your Monday going?
1: Monday's getting better now. No, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Alexis. Thank, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's the time of the year, right? Mm-hmm. We're all used to these crazy schedules and we're heading down the stretch here. So all good. hundred <laughs> percent.
0: Well, this is your second season in Seattle, second season of the franchise being around, but how has it been in year two for you?
1: As good as it was in year one, I know the team didn't achieve any success that it, it wanted to. It wanted to be more competitive than it was in the first year, but coming to a brand new team and, and, and for me, starting over a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I was, you know, in Carolina for almost 25 years, so coming to this franchise and getting a chance to mark time for the second time in my career is pretty special and this season has been a storybook from the Mm -hmm. beginning to where we're at right now everything has fallen into place great group great group of players they made some changes Uh, they're in the position now to really push for a playoff spot so couldn't ask for anything more. The fans have been welcoming. The community is great. The market's great. The building is second to none. I work for great people. Uh with the exception of Eddie Olchek, everything, everything's good here.
0: <laughs> You know, I'm not gonna let him know you said that. <laughs> you don't
1: have to worry about it.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, you talk about the market that Seattle is. I mean, coming from Carolina also, so you you've seen the different type of hockey market, but how has the sport grown in Seattle since you've been there?
1: still it's still a process Mm -hmm. i think they they really want to get involved on the grassroots level with youth hockey it's funny there's major junior hockey here as you know Mm -hmm. and the youth hockey is good but it's not great and i think it wants to get to that triple a level and and back a program which is very important for the nhl to be involved in this the ducks and their fan base know all about this um so It starts with a a first-class facility, and the Kraken Community Iceplex has three sheets of ice. It's state-of-the-art. It's an $85 million project. It's where the team practices. It's also where everyone comes to learn how to play, how to play senior leagues, youth leagues, um, figure skating. You know, it has it all. Mm -hmm. And so that's very, very important. Um, The expansion status of the franchise is what you would expect. Lots of excitement lots of curiosity, lots of people that want to come to Climate Pledge Arena for the first time. And then the key is keeping those people involved, keeping them engaged. And what you have to do now is, in this market, is win. Uh, You know, you're here with the Mariners who are poised to have a great season. The Seahawks are front and center. Um, You take a look at the other sports that are here, the Sounders and the Storm. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of culture here, college sports, mm-hmm. and someday the NBA is likely to come back to Seattle with the Kraken finding its niche. So that's what it's all about. And, uh, we're reaching out to as many people as possible to broad market, a major market and so far so good.
0: Well, on the ice, as far as the team goes this year, what has been the biggest difference that you've noticed that has made them so successful?
1: Well, I think when they looked at the first year, all the numbers told management they're about a goal short per game. They had a bolster scoring and somehow get better goaltending and and kind of flush out what they had at last year's trading deadline. They had six guys with expiring contracts. So they were able to flush those players out, accrue a lot of draft choices, utilize those draft choices in – this year's draft coming up, last year's draft, but also take some of those picks because Ron Francis had an abundance of those. Utilize them like in a trade to get Oliver Bjorkstrand in here. Uh, sign Andre Burkovsky as a free agent. Bring in Justin Schultz, who was a two-time cup winner in Pittsburgh, a sixth defenseman in Washington, a power play guy, but they needed another piece, especially a right-handed shot. And he, you know, it doesn't sound like a big signing, but it was for this team. Uh, Martin Jones gave them support in goal. Chris Drieger had a, a major problem at the World Championships with his knee, major surgery, basically done for the season. He's just starting to play in the American Hockey League, and Philip Grubauer, didn't reach a level of expectation in the first year that he expected, nor did the team. So Jones has provided a little bit of insurance. Now Grubauer is gaining traction. The so goaltending is solidified. The defense has been really, really strong. Their balance is as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. They lead the National Hockey League in five-on-five scoring. They've been able to outscore their problems at times this year, win some eight-five, seven-five games, but that's not a recipe for success. Mm-hmm. They're a strong defensive team. They're starting to show that now, but the key to the Kraken is it's not carried by one line or a group of six or one Norris Trophy type defenseman. It really is a balance. As cliche as that sounds, there is a balance in place here that makes them successful.
0: Well, unlike the rest of the NHL, the Kraken stood pat during the trade deadline this year. Why was that the right decision by GM Ron Francis?
1: Well, the the first thing he had to do is get his own pulse taken. I mean, by looking at where where he's at with this team, right? Mm-hmm. Realistically, internal evaluation is the most important thing you can do probably in life and certainly for pro sports organization. You have to be honest with yourself and where you're at. So this is only the second year of this program, right? So he had to look at that situation in terms of what's in the NHL locker room and what's in the in the prospect pool and, and weigh it all. Then you had to look at realistically where this team is going to go. Yes, it is in position to make the playoffs. They could fall off. They could get in there and go on a run, but would one or two trades make that much of a difference? Mm -hmm. Unless you're really going for the cup, unless you're one of these half dozen teams that exist in the East, a couple of teams in the West that their season is based on winning the Stanley Cup. Otherwise, it's a failure. It's hard to mortgage a lot of future. So he didn't want to do that. And then I think he took the pulse of his players. He went in there and talked to all the guys and said, what do you guys think? Do you need something? And I think by and large, he was told, no, he was told, Hey, we have a great group here. The guys who were here in the first year went through a lot together, especially in a COVID season, the new guys have blended in. Well, let's go for it. And sometimes that's a boost of energy. Sometimes no deal is a boost. They've got Andre Burakovsky, their leading scorer when he was injured out, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. So they're getting a new player back. Mm -hmm. That's an old that's just going into the room. So He didn't want to forego prime draft choices. He didn't want to let go of prospects because they have some good ones, but not too many because it's in the uh, infancy stages of an organization. So I think that's what he weighed. And I I was kind of thinking the same way. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, you know, I know I work for them and all of that, but I'm, If you know anything about me, I'm pretty honest, and I I tell a straight story. That's the only way to build trust with your fans. I think this was the best course of action for the Kraken because I haven't seen that one piece that would have put this team in any different of a spot than they're in right now. Because they're in a spot to make the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and then when you get in, you see what happens.
0: When you talk about where they're at right now, especially in the Pacific, in that third spot right now, um, how has the team handled the pressure of what the rest of the season brings and how important these next couple of weeks are, even though they are sitting in a playoff position right now?
1: Well, that's a really good question because you would think, you know, with a new team, Um, how would that be? Mm -hmm. If it's a younger team, if it's a team, say, for instance, if the Ducks had a better year and the Ducks have sensational young talent, they're in a different cycle. Mm -hmm. They're kind of rebuilding from the bottom up because of all the great years they've had there. The Kraken are trying to be relevant in the now as well as they can be with veteran players, early thirties, and then bring in the new guys over the next few seasons. So that when you hit maybe year five, you're really relevant, right? Mm -hmm. But when you look at this roster, we're talking about this roster, there's deep playoff and Stanley Cup experience laden throughout the roster. So when they get in, they're going to get in, if they make it, they're going to get in with really no pressure. There's not going to be a high level of expectation. You have to look long and hard at the league to understand how well they've played all year because, as you know, we're out here on the left coast and nobody pays attention out east, really, until you get into the playoffs. But from the goal... You have, Chris, um, sorry, you have Philip Grubauer and Martin Jones, both have Stanley Cup experience. Uh, on the back end, you've got Adam Larson, who played in the final. Justin Schultz has uh, won two Stanley Cups. You go right down the list in the forward group. Schwartz won a Stanley Cup. Vince Dunn's won a Stanley Cup. Um, all of these guys will take those experiences and just put them in play here. They've been there. Mm-hmm. And it's just they have a different sweater on, different city. But they understand what it takes to win, what it takes to win in for two months to get to the very end, even if you lose in the final, it's an experience that players never lose a handle on, right? Once they mm-hmm. go through it. So I think from that standpoint, it won't be a problem. It's injuries and depth. They don't have a lot of that. And the, the, as you know, the playoffs really knock you around a little bit. And you can lose players along the way.
0: Well, one of the guys that has been outstanding for the Kraken this year has been Matty Beneers. And I know he was a favorite coming into the season for the Calder, and he seems to have been living up to that expectation, playing on the top line, getting that experience this season. And he's going to be playing against Mason McTavish on Tuesday when the Ducks and Kraken meet. So how has it been for him to see his growth this year and then in knowing that he's going to be playing against McTavish on Tuesday, some of the best young talent in the NHL right now?
1: And Trevor Ziegris and Troy Perry. <laughs> All the
0: there's other a, young guys, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So when you look at this, I, I think he'll win rookie of the year, mm-hmm. but there's two different experiences for both of these great young players. In in Mason's uh situation, there's been a lot of losing. You know, I can't speak to what that's been like there. I think the coach has done a good job propping them up. I think from watching them from the outside, watching their games, listening to the broadcasts, it sounds like they're doing all the right things, but you're still losing a lot. That's hard to do. Matty has been insulated by a, a room filled with veteran players, especially on his line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared McCann is at a 30-goal season. Jordan Emberley arguably has been a very quiet captain on a team where they're is not a captain, he's been one of those guys. So he, those have been the two wingers all season. So Maddie's been able to navigate the bad times while the team's winning. It's like two totally different experiences. Now right. he has a chance in his rookie year to make the playoffs likely, that'll be something. But as a 20 year old, you know, there's been two stretches. There was one stretch, maybe two months ago, he went six games without a point because he's been really consistent on a point per game basis. Um, where his game didn't change much. You know, he was still making good defensive plays. He was still working hard in the fine details of the game without scoring. He's just getting some traction back point-wise, and he went through a 10-game drought without a point. And that was different. It looked like he was wearing down. looked like he was going through that wall that they talk about as a college player that's acclimating to 82 games at the pro level. You know, that's another step, right? And so, He's been able to get through those situations, which to me says you're ready to bust through. You're ready to go through uh, and bust through the wall. Um, Really smart player, Mm -hmm. three zone player. Uh, His idol growing up was Patrice Bergeron. He grew Mm -hmm. up in Boston. And so if he wants to be Patrice Bergeron, that's perfect. You know, because as as a model, you can't pick for me, you can't pick a better guy. Points are there, maybe not to the level of McDavid, but points are there. Winning is there. Off-ice contribution as a real, you know, leader for the franchise, face of the franchise type thing is there. And he plays great defensively as a center. So if he can reach any of that in his career, God bless him. It'll be great to watch. But you know what? This game with the Ducks will be really good to see these kids go head-to-head because – they're going to play against each other for a long time mm-hmm. and they're going to see each other for a long time. And hopefully there'll be a, a Ducks and Kraken playoff series mm-hmm. and we'll really build a rivalry. Right. But when you <laughs> see these kids starting now, when they're 25, 28, it'll be interesting to watch because they'll really hate each other by
0: then. That's fun. us. <laughs> for- John, when you look at this matchup also, in addition to that, what are some other things that you might be expecting to see between the Kraken and Ducks? Because they have already played a couple times this season.
1: Yeah, and really, you know, in the NHL, I found, Alexis, that – Going game to game within a season series, unless it's a week ago, really doesn't matter mm-hmm. because so many things change, right. right? Special teams run through cycles. You could be hitting a cycle where your power plays great at that time and it makes a difference in that specific game. Same thing with the kill. Um, really, there isn't much of a carryover unless there's something that went on that the players remember and then all of a sudden there's some physicality or an altercation because of that that's in the way back machine, but that's up to the players. So, what I look at is this. Uh, Anaheim's starting to play pretty well lately. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're gaining a little bit of traction in their game. Their trading deadline has come and gone. They can see the end of the season. They also realize they have to leave it and leave a, a, a good impression on management at the end of the year. The coaches battled through to keep them you know, righted. And for the Kraken, they're coming off a 4-0 road trip. And when you come home after a 4-0 road trip and your last game was a win in overtime over Colorado, is there an emotional letdown? They can ill afford any of that. They have to come home and and take care of business. So for the Kraken, I'm looking to see how well they play at the beginning of the game and not kind of put their foot in the shallow end before diving deep, right? I want to Mm -hmm. see them after it and kind of take Anaheim's will away. That'll be the key. I'll see the Ducks a couple of times this week. Eddie and I have them Wednesday night on TNT up in Vancouver. So we're looking forward to that. Um, But it'll be interesting to see where the game goes, because of what I've noticed with the Ducks, if you give them a little bit of space, you give them some room, their skill uh, feeds. And if you feed their skill, then they're onto their game a little bit. And of course, and then there's John Gibson, who has been a hero all season. And I don't know if he's playing Tuesday night or not, but he's always fun to watch.
0: You mentioned that national perspective that you also have too. Uh, following the trade deadline, as far as all of the changes that have been made, is there any team in the NHL that you kind of have your eye on throughout the rest of the season?
1: Well, i think most people would agree it's boston mm-hmm. right i mean boston has had this terrific season they added some parts and it's plug plugging pe- play mm-hmm. they, they they added orloff hathaway and bertuzzi and and you know what it's where you put those players i'll be interested to see how the rangers do with patrick kane because you're taking a superstar and putting them in your lineup i think when you already have a great team it's easier to plug the pieces in the little pieces mm-hmm. Than to take a star player and say, okay, now you're the key piece of the power play, Patrick, enjoy yourself. Now you've got Panarin and Zibanejad and Fox and all these guys who are trying to defer to him to get him in the mix with his new team. And you don't have a lot of time. Sometimes these big deals can backfire. They're not, history has shown, they're not always a a way to the cup. Mm -hmm. You look at what Tampa Bay did a few years ago, they were able to, Third line with Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, put Yanni Gord in the middle of that. And arguably that was the best third line checking line we've seen in the league for the last three or four seasons. And it shows with their cups, right? So I look at Boston. I think that's the one team that people would say they really don't need to do it, but they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mortgaged a lot of their future to go for it um so they've had one cup in 50 years i think it is and it's 2011 so they're trying to get it uh but so is everybody else it's a real arms race in the eastern conference there's a lot of great teams out there in the west i think it's pretty much wide open mm-hmm. you know and uh there there every team kind of did a l- little bit of this a little bit of that vegas and dallas and colorado a little bit seattle didn't do much of anything edmonton's added um L.A. L.A. did a nice job. L.A. got picked up a real good goalie and a sound shutdown defenseman. So I think the Kings are kind of the sleeper team in not only our division, but in the conference.
0: John Forslund, thank you so much for joining us today on Duck Stream.
1: My pleasure. Keep up the great work.
0: And now let's wrap things up as it's time for my final quack for the episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. The Ducks hit the road this week for three games. Seattle, Vancouver, and then Calgary on Friday. The Kraken, like I mentioned, are first up on Tuesday for a 7 p.m. puck drop. You can listen right here on DuckStream pregame at 6.30. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I'm Alexis Downey. Come back again next time for more Hockey Talk right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.